0: Friends, welcome to Live Idle Wild with Jody Sui. I'm a life and relationship coach and pastor, and living in Los Angeles with my family as we seek to find the joy in the journey. I've been studying the Bible for over 20 years, and I freaking love it. Now I'm sharing it with you in the hopes that you will discover that you do too. Do you feel seen and valued for who you are, or for what you can do? For most of us, the honest answer is the latter. We are taught from childhood that our value depends on what we have to offer. In skills, intelligence, looks, and whatever other moving target the current culture deems important. It's no wonder that we spend so much time and money in therapy, coaching and training in an endless attempt to improve ourselves. However, no matter how much we seem to grow and change, why is it that we never feel fully satisfied with who we are? Well, it could be because it's all a big, fat, exhausting lie. Not the therapy and stuff, that's all great, but the idea that we'll ever be genuinely satisfied in our efforts to improve ourselves. We're not gonna find satisfaction in who we are becoming until we know and believe in the value of who we are, wholly separate from what we do. To know who we are, we must look to the one who created us and see ourselves through his eyes. And this is how God sees us. This is Luke 12, 6 and 7 in the Passion Translation. What is the value of your soul to God? Could your worth be defined by any amount of money? God doesn't abandon or forget even the smallest sparrow he has made. How then could he forget or abandon you? What about the seemingly minor issues of your life? Do they matter to God? Of course they do. So you need never worry, for you are more valuable to God than anything else in this world. It feels incredible to be seen and valued. It changes how you walk, talk, and experience the world. And it's how God created you to live every day. But most of us are easily robbed of our value because we look for it in what we do instead of who we are. God is inviting you to see things differently, to discover what it means to know your worth and be satisfied. He's inviting you to a life where the desire to grow is not based on what you lack, but an overflowing of what you already have, which is God's unwavering love for you. I call it God's invitation to joy. A few years ago, I was rereading the story of Jesus's birth. It's one of those passages that is numbingly familiar to most of us, and I could easily have skimmed over it. But this time, my attention was snagged by something that kind of blew my mind. I realized that everything we need to know about God's invitation to joy is smooshed into two freaking little lines in the Bible. And those two lines are found in Luke 2, which is the story of Jesus' birth. I'm gonna read some of it for you, see if you can catch it. This is Luke 2, 8 through 12. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Did you catch it? Did you catch the two lines? Everything we need to know about God's invitation to joy, his invitation to us, is found right there in Luke 2, 11 and 12. I bring good news of great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Good news, great joy, all people, savior, Lord. It's all right there. And there is so much deliciousness to unpack. And we're gonna be doing that over the next few episodes. But before we do that, we've got to back up and talk context. Because you guys, God is seriously the best. He's so intentional and thoughtful. Every person in place mentioned in the Bible is purposeful, and there is often just as much to be learned from the context as what is being said. For example, we know the players in the story. You've got Virgin Mary, Faithful Joseph, you have the shepherds and the angels. But do we know the context of where they were and why? Let's back up. In the beginning of Luke 2, it says, this is Luke 2, 1 through 7. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a consensus, a consensus, a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So I don't know if you guys ever picked up on this. I know I didn't the first a few hundred times I read or listened to the story, but Mary and Joseph didn't live in Bethlehem. That's not where they were from. Well, it's where Joseph was from, but it's not where they lived. They were visiting because they were law-abiding citizens and Caesar made them come so he could take a census of who was in the world. They actually lived in Nazareth, which was about 70 miles away, which might not seem like a horrible distance unless you live in Los Angeles and that might as well be another country. But back then, 70 miles was about a three or four day walk or ride on a donkey but God had already said that Bethlehem was going to be significant. The word itself means house or place of bread, kind of like it means the place of life and home. And it was a small village, but it had a significant past. It was actually the birthplace of King David, which was a major player in the Old Testament. And it was the prophesied birthplace of the Messiah which is found in the Old Testament in the book of Micah. So if you were to flip back to the Old Testament, to Micah 5.2, you would read this. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So Micah was a prophet who lived in the fifth century, which means he wrote this because he was given this prophecy from God 700 years before the birth of Jesus. So God had told his people 700 years before that Bethlehem was going to be the place where the Savior was going to be born. But Mary and Joseph didn't live in Bethlehem. Well, it just so happens that Caesar decides that there should be a census, which forced Joseph to take his wife back to his hometown. Just take a minute and let that sink in and wonder how it might impact you. I would tell you it means that God has a plan for you too. He knows how it begins and ends, and nothing is going to keep him from sharing it with you. But that's another episode. Right now, we're talking context. Let's get back to it. Bethlehem was significant, right? But it wasn't just about Bethlehem. It was also about Nazareth, which is where Mary and Joseph lived and where Jesus would grow up. That place was a little podunk town. Like we thought if Bethlehem was a small village, Nazareth was even smaller and it was well known. There's actually somebody makes a joke in the New Testament about people from Nazareth. Like, oh, you know, nothing good comes, comes from Nazareth. So it was well known that nothing and no one of importance came from there. And we know God is an intentional God. So there had to be purpose for why he chose Nazareth for the place Jesus to grow up. Have you ever wondered why? I have, and here's what I think. As humans our expectations are based on our understanding and our understanding is based on our experiences and our experiences are limited by our senses. Let me say that again, as humans our expectations are based on our understanding and our understanding is based on our experiences but our experiences are limited by our senses. The world was flat until someone sailed around it God knows this, he knows who we are as humans. And so every detail of Jesus's life is an invitation to be freed from our expectations, to see past our limited understanding and to experience what he has for us. If the savior of the world can come from a podunk town in the middle of nowhere, before there was internet or even newspapers, then maybe God really does love you for who you are, and not what you can do. Take a minute, my friends, and really consider this. God sees you. He values you for who you are and not what you can do, have done, or will do. He loves you and wants you to be secure in that love so that he can share his plan for your life. If this is true, does it change anything for you? Should it? Only if you want to get off the exhausting path of performance-based acceptance that provides only temporary happiness. God is inviting you to see things differently, to discover what it means to know your worth and be satisfied. He's inviting you to a life where the desire to grow is not based on what you lack or what you need to do to gain approval but an overflowing of what you already have. His unwavering love for you that does not change no matter what you do. It is an invitation to joy. And we're going to be talking about that more over the next few episodes as we take a deeper dive into these two little lines in Luke 2. But for now, just wonder with me. Wonder what it would be like if you lived in the knowledge that you were seen and valued by God. Wonder what it would be like if you were secure in God's love for you, what might your life look like then? I wanna end with these sweet, sweet words from the book of Jeremiah, which is in the Old Testament. And I'm gonna be reading to you from the message. God says this, this part's Jeremiah 29. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. When you call on me, when you come and pray to me, I'll listen. When you come looking for me, you'll find me. And then a little later, he says, I've never quit loving you and never will. Expect love, love, and more love. Thank you so much for listening to Live Idle Wild with Jody Swee. Until next time, my friends, may you live in the love of Jesus and allow it to grow wild within you until it overflows to others.